Welcome to this week in sparkling water. I am your host, Joachim Eriksson. Today's episode, very excited. Biggest guest so far, local icon, you know, celebrity chef. Most importantly, my boss, <laughs> uh, Eric Bunn. How are you, Eric? I'm great. Thank you, Joachim. And uh, thanks for bringing me on to your show here. I No, no, you don't know uh, how much I appreciate it. So first, I'm going to ask you some questions about right here, right now. And then we'll, we'll go a little bit bigger. So right now we're doing this Feed the Frontlines uh, campaign. What, what can you tell me about this? You know, uh, right after the uh, pandemic uh, officially announced, and um, it's, it's so much uncertainty, and it's such a novel virus. Nobody knows anything about it. And as you can see, our restaurant, all restaurants in Seattle got shut down, business and quarantine. And then you start to think about, oh my goodness, is this real? And I remember growing up uh, as a child, young, young child, 10-year-old in Saigon, Vietnam, 1975, mm. when the communist occupation, suddenly the whole city shut down. So give me that eerie feeling, memories, uh, but yet here it's very quiet. Yes. And it sounds cliche because it seems like everyone was talking about silence enemy. So true. So quiet, but so deadly. And speaking of deadly, until you sick or visit your sick loved one, you will appreciate nurses, people that take care of all unhealthy and dying people. And we're starting to see how busy the hospitals are and and you look at it, the more you know about hospital, hospital investors make a lot of money. We're talking about billions of dollars, but nurses or entry level staff uh, is a tough one and they're the one that risk their life and um, I I know some nurses and they they just true hero because it's also we're hearing this thing of the viral load that it, it's one thing to be exposed to the virus and get the virus but when you ex, when you're exposed to a lot of it you get sicker so there's like a disproportionate thing where like healthcare workers the people that actually take care of the sick get even sicker and there's like a higher number of them actually being becoming really sick and and the fatality rate in healthcare workers is also higher so I mean this is no joke you know like these are and then they still show up for work and they still do it. And it's, uh, I mean, yeah. So whose, whose idea was this campaign that we do? Actually, do you remember? It, it came through, I was asking for donation through our vendors mm. that we have worked over the last 20 years with them since the monsoon yeah. day. And uh, so Vikwa's uh, founder, Mr. Duk Tran, I said, um, Mr. Duke, would you be interested in um, donating some food so that we can make delicious box lunches and bring it to hospital staff to donate to them? And he said, he said, how much does it cost to to make one meal? Mm. I said. 
it's probably about say seven dollar, eight dollars. But if somebody's willing to pay five dollars, we're willing to donate one, two dollars per meal, and we can do it for one month. And he said, "How about this? Why don't I buy one week worth of meal for a hundred boxes per day?" That's where we got the idea. A hundred dollar, I mean, a hundred box meal every day. And we're very lucky enough to know the people at Swedish Cherry Hill Hospital there. And uh, our friend, my very good friend, Dr. Rod Osquin and Dr. Jans Chapman. And I said, hey, gentlemen. Can you hook me up with uh, your organization, the special divisions called Seattle Science Foundation? Mm. Because I need you to help me to do this fundraising so that we can commit and make every 100 box lunch every day for a long time. When I say long time, we can do it on our own right now. We got enough money from donors and uh, grocery store, other vendors. We can do for three weeks, but I w- would love to do this for three months because I don't see this going to stop anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the pandemic here. Yeah. Long story short, forward, the fundraising was so successful and we were able to raise 50000 around there to be able to pay for five dollar per box a hundred bucks per day for 90 days mm. and then we donate the labor oh we donate more than that <laughs> i didn't know how much we lose money until <laughs> well we had the meeting with our bookkeeper yeah yeah that's tricky i mean and i mean it's 100 meals a day but last week i show up on friday and we're doing four or five hundred you know so it's like oh yes yes on top of on top of that we we do I, I believe once every two weeks for Food Lifeline. So this organization, actually it's a nonprofit organization mm. and they, they feed a lot of hungers, people that in need. And um, so they asked us, hey, how much can you make a box? I said, you know what? We're not gonna make any money. How about we, we, do, we charge you 750 mm. uh, a box? So that's how it's all started because yeah. we prefer, even though we don't make money or even lose a little bit of money, and our kitchen staff have jobs. Yeah. And it's also the thing of how the government comes out and says that we have to shut everything down very suddenly. And then, you know, who knows, two months later, six months later, they tell us we can open back up. As a business owner, what are the challenges of suddenly shutting down and then suddenly starting up? Oh, obviously, financial. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because suddenly you shut, you suddenly you shut off the valve of cash flow. Yeah, and in any business, cash flow is key. Mm. Cash flow is king. Without cash flow, no business can be sustainable. Um, I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah, but I, I think with the experience of uh, living through. Vietnamese communist occupation, 1975, along with uh, escape Vietnam on a boat, 
yeah, and live wow. in Malaysia is boat people. How long were you in Malaysia? We were in Malaysia for 14 months. Wow. So that, and that's When like a refugee know, camp? You talk, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah sorry. You know, you thought, we thought quarantine here is tough. You think about living on an island that literally they quarantine us there. No mm. electricity, no food, and the only source of food were donations of food brought in by Red Cross. Uni yeah, wow. really, Red Cross. So uh, that's called quarantine. So yeah. when I first heard quarantine, it terrified me, but this is still pretty luxury. I think with yeah. those um, experiences really prepare me emotionally, mentally for for this. Mm. And uh, don't get me wrong, this is no joke either. And especially uh, our our Babar restaurants and monsoon have 230 people work with us. Mm. And these people, most of them are you know uh adult have to support their kids yeah. their wife or husband or partners so it's it's disappointing for us as restaurateur or employer and we have to tell them hey go get unemployment um it's no hero time just have to take care of your 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 family and We can no longer do it, and really sadden my sister and I, and as well as the management team. And you know, you look at my wife and I. Uh, when it first happened, there's no income. Yeah. Because when there's no money, <laughs> how can we pay ourselves? Yeah. So was it hard? Oh yes, fin financially, and thankfully with this uh, PPP. They call it Paycheck Protection Program. Right. So we've uh, been approved for that. Uh, yes, we're, we're did, trying to do it. We did receive it, mm. and um, it uh, it's allow us that money enable us to bring in staff and open mm. uh, by having employ probably right now we we about thirty five percent. Actually, maybe not. Maybe 25%. Of the original 250, 260, or how many Correct. were you saying? Correct. Yeah. 230. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, with this PPP, it helps, but we're still not making money at all, if any. How are you handling the stress on a personal level? Do you have any new habits, anything you're doing to... Oh, uh, I, bike, I, I bike a lot more now. And you bike? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's because... You can no longer go to the gym. I, yeah. I try to be active because yeah. this, you know, being working in a restaurant is so very physically demanding. Yes. On your feet all the time, as you know, Joe Kim, as a server, man, you guys work your tails off. Oh, it's a lot of steps. Running around on hard floor, and uh, if you're not fit, and if you're not young like you guys, I cannot work in the restaurant. That's why I have to be fit. To be able to maintain our physical basic requirement, you know, even standing in the kitchen for three, four hours, it hurts my back. Oh after. yeah, because yeah. that's so much standing too. Because standing is almost harder than briskly walking around. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I always had office jobs until like five years ago or something, late twenties. 
When you're used to sitting in front of a computer all day, and then you do 15,000 steps day after day after day, and it's like, man, it was hard in the beginning to get used to it. I mean, I really loved the work. But but you look at it, it's the excitement that we yeah, you get through we it. love or so-called we crave. Uh, it's it's amazing job. I wouldn't know what to do other than this. Believe yeah. it or not, uh, this is not my first choice of career because my parents, especially my late father, really disapproved it. Actually, he didn't talk to me for weeks. Really? <laughs> when I first announced uh, I'm going to be opening a restaurant and going to be... Uh, <laughs> back in Canada or when you started? This, this was back in Edmonton, Alberta, yeah. Canada. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think there are like... Um, universal principles of running a restaurant because your family tried to run a breakfast place in the 80s in canada a little place and then versus now you have a big vietnamese restaurant group seattle expensive seattle 2020 are there things that are the same you know actually you know when when you grow up in certain family mm. we all have issue and i think our form of communications or conversing is through food and through dinner. Oh, okay Mm. And my 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 lay father and mother obviously love food. They call now they call foodie, but mm. I remember that's our conversation of the day. Mm. Sit there and critique or compliment about certain dishes. Mm. That's our way of talking to one another and. Uh, even here in Seattle, some families do the same, and so we we love food. I love food without knowing. However, as a refugee kids, immigrant kids, you have no choice but to become doctor, lawyer, accountant, dentist, you name it. Yeah. And uh, obviously, we all went to college, and um, I... I was a black sheep because I uh, <laughs> didn't pursue white-collar, so-called professional. So your father passed away, but how do you think your parents would describe you specifically? Uh, crazy and maybe stupid <laughs> to do this career. <laughs> I mean, you look at now, uh, it's not glamorous to run a restaurant. You look at all the f financial um, obligations. Yeah. Yes, we shut down. Yes, we don't pay yeah. for certain loan, but it just doesn't mean it's free. It's postponement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of people fantasize about running a restaurant. It's It's got this sort of... I, there's a glamorous idea around it somewhere, but the reality is always all the restaurants I've worked at, I, I think there's deep, a lot of yeah, stress. I, I think deep down, a lot of people love to cook because it's a yeah. form of relaxation, mm -hmm. passion, palate, whatever you want to call creative, it. It's creative. You express yourself And then they don't the realize food. cooking alone is not running a restaurant. Running restaurant, mm. believe it or not, a successful one, 80% has nothing to do with cooking. Yeah. When I first heard that from uh, our um, legendary Tom Douglas, Chef Tom Douglas, and he told me that, I didn't understand. I said, what the hell are you talking about? You have to have good food. He said, given everyone can cook, it's only 20%. The rest, nothing to do with cooking. As you can see, Joel Kim, we come in, 
management team, mm. social media, marketing, make sure the restroom is clean, that corner, how come it's so much dust? How come, yeah. uh, how, why our essay does not hold tray and put their, the uh, soil glass in their armpit walking around and where's the apron? How come they don't tie up their hair if they have long hair? <laughs> just, yeah. Let's just go on and on. And the light bulbs over there burn. How come nobody yeah. uh, changed the light bulb? And the, the crazy thing about it is that it's almost like when all that stuff is perfect, you don't notice it. And when you don't notice it, that's the success. Oh my and as goodness. soon as something is yes. dirty, as soon as you put your hand on something and it's sticky, as soon as you notice, that's the failure. Because what you really want is people to go, not notice anything except the bowl of food, and that's it. And then it takes so much work to not you make people it. notice you all this it. other stuff. Because no one notices when a light bulb is working, you know? <laughs> Correct. I learned this from late legendary landscape architect. Mm. Um, he just passed away a year and a half ago. Mm. He designed G Gaswork Park. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said this to me. Once you go to a really amazing garden, mm. you just feel very relaxed. Mm. And you don't know why. You don't know why. Because it's so perfect. It's so amazing design yeah the plow the plants and uh and you don't you don't design it for one year you have to think about how's it going to grow into a really beautiful garden in five years 10 years 20 years yeah uh, and at the same time i learned from the architect when you go to a restaurant you love it so much subconsciously because the lighting's perfect, the color, mm. the sound. It's just a feeling. Because, as you know, when you get older, your eardrum dry out. And then you can, that's why we have a lot of older customers always ask us to turn down the music. Oh, yeah. With Every the young lunch. people, hey, let's turn it louder. So yep. it's, a, it's a very tricky, uh, it's like you, you dance around it and now more so than ever after this pandemic a lot of people will run away from restaurant because there are so many variables mm. and then the profit margin is so thin so any mistake you make then there goes your mm. your earning so how do we feel about reopening do we feel ready oh we're very happy excited yeah. we we're so ready because for the last two and a half months during this quarantine, we've been doing call and pick up and delivery through third parties, vendors. And um, fortunately, Babar U Village has enormous patio. And then we have a substantial size of back dining room and the front dining room. So with this 50% opening, and on top of that, the University Village management team, they're gonna seal off the small street and put tables and chairs out there so people can sit. And apparently it's healthier for people to sit outdoor and enjoy meal yes. and, or social interaction. So, so uh, we're very excited because, hey, my goodness, it's bore 
I think more than probably will kill me before the virus here. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a lot of people out there that feel cooped up in the apartments. They want to go out, they want to have a good meal, they're tired of cooking, but they also have a healthy respect or fear of the virus and the whole situation. And I think it's important for us to get the word out that we are taking it seriously and that we are really figuring out a new way to accommodate the whole situation because filling up the whole street outside is an amazing idea. I mean, it's uh, filling up the street with tables that are far oh, away from oh, each yeah. other. It, and then people know when people find out that they can come here and feel safe and have a good meal and all the servers wear masks, maybe, uh, you know, absolutely. whatever it is. It, it will look funny uh, because none yeah. of us, Brave new myself, world. I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy and... I've never seen this ever. Yeah. Um, so you just have to learn to cope with changes and adapt. And that means, like you said, Joe Kim, we need to be very conscious and mindful about mm. sanitations. And uh, that's why we're going to scale down our menu substantially. Okay. So that it's quick. Uh, so less interactions much as possible and be having enormous amount of capacity for outdoor that's what make babar u village amazing and attractive for people to come because they don't have to come in uh, unless they need to use our restroom because our our server and we management team we're going to try to see how can we use a chalkboard yes chalkboard rather than menu because every time oh. a customer use hmm. a menu unless it's laminated and then you have to sanitize it if it's not laminated then you have to dispose it so with a chalkboard only our staff get to hold it and then go to go to table and but we're still exploring yeah. we're not sure what will work best i mean as we after the restaurant open we have uh now we we can we will work out kinks. I mean, human being, we're very smart. We will eventually get better and make it very efficient. But most importantly, we have to make it safe for our customer, guests, at the same time. Last but not least, our staff. Yeah, no, it's a it's a tricky, completely new thing to be thinking about. Okay, totally different question. Here at Babar, we have an item on the menu: the vegan pumpkin curry. The weird thing is, I've eaten this dish 100 times, and I don't know anything about this dish. I don't know if it's Vietnamese food. I don't know if it's something you invented, if it's like a local delicacy. I don't even know like what the broth is. And I taste it, and it's like, I can't pick it apart at all. What can you tell me about this dish, Eric? Actually, curry is no stranger to Southeast Asia. Mm. You talk about Thailand. You're talking about uh, Malaysia. Mm. Cambodia, Vietnam, all, guess what? All the spice route, mm. where, guess where curry come from? It's not just India. India. Yeah. yeah. India, absolutely. And Indian curry is legendary. And, I mean, in Vietnam, we have very famous dish called chicken curry. Okay. And it's kind of old? Oh, yeah. It's I been mean, around? It's, it's been around Vietnam mm. Probably for the past four or five hundred years. Oh yeah, um, and as the world's changed, and I'm eating more plant-based, mm -hmm. uh, and I said, let's make a kick-ass mm. <laughs> curry dish, 
And yes, good question. You ask, is this a classic Vietnamese? Yes and no. Because a classic Vietnamese does not really use cinnamon or cardamom okay. in the curry soup. We just use curry spice that bought and also don't use turmeric, extra oh, really? turmeric. Because okay. curry, yellow curry got turmeric in there, got right. cardamom. But now we put even extra, almost like uh, make it, make intensify the, fla- the flavor. Yeah. And most of all, we also extract mushroom broth from our dry shiitake to add in there. It's like a natural glutamate. Is that the base, sort of? It's a mushroom. It's a lot of mushroom in the base? Absolutely. Lots of mushroom, lots of leeks. Um, Yeah, what is the richness? Because it's got this, like, it's not oily, but it's... Coconut milk. Is it really coconut milk? Yeah, coconut milk. Oh, really? And on top of that, what's so delicious that people never understand is that mushroom give it that that you can stop eating. You cannot yeah. stop eating. And the smell, I mean, we eat with sight smell. Yeah. The yellow curry just make it so bright and beautiful. And uh, and then the, the smells from garlic, yeah. ginger, lemongrass. Uh, so is it authentic Vietnamese? Whenever people use that word authentic, it's kind of agitate me a little bit. Yeah. Why I say this? You look at, and I say this to our staff constantly, you look at Korean food. 500 years ago, there was no kimchi. You think about it. Kimchi didn't come into Korea until the spice roll, which the pepper come from where? Mexico. So that's pretty recent. So, yes. New world. New world. Mm-hmm. Mexico. And then that's how kimchi came about. Because prior to that, all throughout Asia, the only pepper we used to eat was black peppercorn yeah. or white peppercorn. And yeah. if you are very north, northern China, then you get to, to taste Szechuan peppercorn. So all this pepper, my friend, even Thai food, Get where all these pepper come from. So yes, Thai curry is amazing. Is it authentic? Yes, but don't tell me Thai got curry three, four hundred years ago. Right. Maybe Maybe at that time the India Indian already brought yellow curry to there, but still you need pepper, and pepper didn't come from Mexico until five hundred years ago. So. I was actually going to ask you that. I was going to ask you if you think our food is authentic. But yeah, it is a silly concept because like whatever you think of as the most iconic thing for a place, it has an introduction date. And it's most often it's more recent than you think. I, I like to elaborate on f- when people ask me, is it fusion? I say, I don't like that term either. Fusion to me seems confusion. You have to work with the parameter which is very important when i say parameter you know curry should not and should never have spices such as five spice shouldn't it shouldn't Mm -hmm. because five spice 
will make it off a little bit hmm. because five spice um it doesn't go well because i i see spice very much like music tweeter which is high note mid-range bass and i think five spice give it too much bass so it doesn't work and for an a parameter vietnamese curry never have cumin ways east indian curry or singapore curry have a little bit more bass so it's deeper note whereas vietnamese much brighter so yeah. if i put cur- cumin in our curry would it taste like vietnamese curry no because you have to grow up eating certain dish and make it so that subconsciously you recognize it or you familiar become familiar with mm. Yeah, I like this music metaphor. It's it's um, a lot of things when they taste good. It's a sort of symphony where it seems like one whole thing. You know, you it doesn't taste sweet. It doesn't taste sour. It just tastes like this one thing. I I think good is familiar. Familiar. Sure, but it also changes over your lifetime, Absolutely. which we talked about uh, recently. Here we, we talk about this. Yeah, your palate change over the years. Yeah. And when you get older, guess what? You like bitter, sour. A Vietnamese will have this line. When you get older, you just bitter and sour. You look at kids. Which kids do not love candy, sugar, Coca-Cola? Bring them on. But as you get older now, I don't even take sugar in my coffee. And my sister say, think I'm crazy. Oh, yeah. But uh, she's got more of a sweet tooth. Yeah, it's a transformation. I think as we get older, we just, just for some reason, eat or consume much less sugar. Okay, Eric, let's uh, let's drink the water. Today we are doing Topo Chico, crowd Ooh. favorite. Uh, we got three. We got th- there is only three flavors of Topo Chico. Actually, I encourage you to grab the first one, pink top. Um, there should be an opener. Do you, do you know why, story, why Topo Chico suddenly become so uh, trendy or no. popular? Tell me. No, 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 no. I have an opener here. That's okay. your opener. Social distancing, you know. We got a- two actually, very... Uh... Actually, uh, I didn't learn about this until two years ago. Because a bartender, restaurateur, found out the Pellegrino sold to Nestle Corporation. Right. Pellegrino is now owned by Nestle. Yes. Yes. And uh, what's wrong with Nestle? Tell me. I in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a ten hours question. <laughs> okay. okay, maybe we don't You know, 10 and hours. people I'm sure a lot of people think they exploit our community, mm. our natural resource and not fair to the, th- the world. Mm. But when you criticize a company, it's difficult to single out certain company. The list can just go on and on. You're talking about how about, how about GMO stuff. Mm. Without GMO, I mean, to me, the more I know, the less I know. Mm. And if I don't, I don't eat GMO stuff, but I'm not going to be sitting here and be critical about 
farm that use it because you believe it or not. Without GMO, there's not enough food in the world to, to eat. Because example, the population yeah. growing at a drastic rate. Yes. And so it's a very it's a very luxurious situation to be sitting around and oh, yeah, say, let's say, oh, I'm not going to eat GMO because, yeah, we, we, we have choices. It's but when you privilege. have nothing to eat, like I was, our family were 1978. You don't look at the label. <laughs> refugee camp, you don't care what the hell that label says because you need to feed your basic necessity. That means hunger. So you left Vietnam when you were nine. Is that right? Uh, yes. And then how long until you went back to Vietnam? The first time I went back to Vietnam was ninth, after college. I finished college in 1987. And then I dapper into accounting. I did accounting mm. for two years. Uh, hated it. <laughs> yeah, I took uh, some accounting uh, classes. You know, uh, I was thinking about it. But so yeah. I, my first time back to Vietnam was 1991. So that's 1990. About, 1990. Okay, so it's like 15-ish years oh since my, you had been there. Oh, longer than that. 1990. So, 30 years now, my friend. Yeah, but I mean, from yeah. leaving oh, yes, yes. to going back. So there's a 15-year period. Just, just to don't. tell you how yeah. Vietnam inflation and wealth, I mean, the word wealth is very relative. Mm. Back then, 1990, when I went back, I can take the whole family i remember it was about 13 of us mm. went to a restaurant ate and i gave them a hundred dollar bill they gave me some change back yeah now two people in saigon vietnam cost more than a hundred dollars yeah <laughs> that's how it goes so what was that like being back for the first time do you remember that what was your impression um, you know i think as kids we all become disillusion. Yeah. What I mean, the word disillusion, you always have a romantic memory of certain stuff. Uh, and when you go back, a lot of stuff, not as pretty as I remember. And I, I know why, because during this Iron Curtain or so-called uh, isolation mm -hmm. because of US embargo, people don't paint their house certain things just become dated, age, and no update. But obviously, you know, the memory, the be beautiful memory is still there, but it's just the memory was so colorful of certain part, even our house, that I, the house I, where I grew up, it just become gray and not pretty. So you went back there and looked at it? Oh, yes, wow. absolutely. So yeah. it was still there? But still it was, there. Uh, not, yeah. uh, the but that was 1990. Now, oh my goodness. Everything uh, is different. Everything's different and expensive. Let me ask you one abstract weird question. I have this friend. Her name is Svetlina. She's from Bulgaria. She told me this one thing. She, she grew up before communism fell in Bulgaria. And she had this um, experience of seeing for the first time a Coca-Cola commercial. And it was like really beautiful. And it was like her first memory of America because it was like this totally new thing. And I remember being a Swedish kid. For Christmas, we watch, it's weird, but for, in Sweden for Christmas, we watch American cartoons. And I remember for the first time, like seeing these American cartoons where they're speaking English and, and it's like, there's, it's dubbed over. 
it's like my first memory of this other world, of like the American other world. Do you have a, do you have a first memory of America? Yes, I, I remember growing up prior to a communist occupation um, in District 1. Yeah. And people always talk about San Francisco. And I look at that bridge, I still remember. That was my first memory of hearing about America. Yeah. The, you know. The Golden iron, Gate yeah, Bridge. Golden Gate, long, beautiful, red. So whenever I think of America, I think of Golden Gate Bridge. That's the first thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But Eric, would you open this one for me? Absolutely. The pink top? Yeah. So that's grapefruit. Is that the grapefruit? This is the grapefruit. Oh, yes. Yeah. Try this for me. Okay. So the, on the pod, we rate it zero to 10. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's um, to me, that's, it's, it's got a certain bitterness. What do you think about this? You know, I drink, I drink a lot of sparkling water throughout my restaurant career. Yeah. This one. Give it a score. Honestly, I would give this one an eight. Mm. You like which it? Which is really high for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. It's not sweet, but yeah. If you ask my son to rate this or Teresa, they probably give it a five <laughs> because there's, there's no sweetness. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, it's I like delicious. It. I think I think the smells is not overwhelming, and you can definitely taste the acidity. Yeah, it's got a certain. It's got that Topo Chico saltiness too that yeah. I really yeah. like. Oh my goodness! A lot of people don't realize why we all love Pellegrino. There's a lot of salt content in there. Yeah. Without salt, you cannot drink. Yeah. Next one, the green one. The green one. Lime. Lime. Topo Chico, twist the lime. Wow, I, I didn't realize Topo Chico's starting to branch out and uh, have grapefruit and lime. Yeah. I love the green bottle, man. Wow. <sighs> Thoughts? I... I give the lime six and a half. Six and a half. I mm. like the grapefruit a lot more. Yeah. Just personal preference. What do you think about um, plain Topo Chico, the stuff you always have? You had one 30 minutes before we started recording the podcast. All the time. What would you score it? It's good. I think it's real good. I drank Pellegrino for a long time. Mm. Um, I think Topo Chico has slightly less salt than Pellegrino. And uh, sparkly, it's hard for me to rate that because because you've had it a thousand times. I have it a thousand times, yeah. but I, I, I will give Topachico plain. I say seven and a half. Yeah. Okay. Bonus round. I want us to try one Bernardo style. You know how Bernardo drinks a Topachico? No. So I prepared here. He does a healthy pinch of salt, more salt in there, and then quarter of lime, squeezes that into a plain Topo Chico, you know, for that fresh lime, yes. extra salty. Mm-hmm. So I've never tried that. Let's, I want us to try one Bernie style. So I prepared some salt for you. Oh my goodness. I, I find that the, the Mexican so different than the Vietnamese regard to um, palate. They eat very little sugar, mm-hmm. 
and the Vietnamese out drinks. <laughs> if you don't have sugar, that's not a treat. Sugar and everything. We eat we eat a lot of sugar. Oh man, yeah, that we smells. Drink a lot of sugar that well. smells so much fresher than the the bottled lime. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Everyone should start drinking like this. I will give this now a nine. <laughs> That is Bernardo. Mm -mm. You know Bernardo knows what the hell he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got some tricks. Yeah. He's got some tricks. This up is his delicious. Well, thank you, Joaquin. Um, no problem, Eric. Last question: Who's your favorite employee? <laughs> <laughs> you have to give me some names, Eric. <laughs> Joaquin. <laughs> no, you know uh, that's a great question. I work with, I work with. 230 people yep. on our team. 230 candidates. I wouldn't call it candidate. It's our team. And yes. believe it or not, Joe, Kim, there are 30 of them that work with us. 30. Mm -hmm. Maybe 25. Over 10 years. Over 10 years. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So how can I have a favorite, you know? It's like picking one of your kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some, yeah, some are smart, some are not so smart, and you love them all. <laughs> I'm talking about kids here. <laughs> okay, well, Eric, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Will you come back on the podcast in a Absolutely, couple of months? Absolutely, anytime. Thank I you for it. bringing me up. No, here. no, no, thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to This Week in Sparkling Water. That was our Topo Chico retrospective featuring Twist of Grapefruit, Twisted Lime, Plain, and most importantly, Bernardo Style. And that brings us to our closing segment, Sparkling Water, Sparkling Mind. Today's meditation session is dedicated to the Vietnamese monk Thich Nhat Hanh. That man, more than anyone, brought the ideas of Buddhist mindfulness to a non-Asian audience. Today he is 93 years old and they tell me he's dying. But to be fair, they have been telling me that for a long time. As we begin, I would like you to take a seat, close your eyes, and take a couple of deep breaths. And then I would like you to employ Thich Nhat Hanh's very simple technique of telling yourself, breathing in, I know that I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. And just repeat those words to yourself. And that's it. Just make sure that you're not lying to yourself. Just make sure that as you breathe in, you know that you're breathing in. Thank you.